Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. I'm Kathleen. We are from LoadingReadyRun.com, where we make funny videos and podcasts and video game streams. But today, we are here to tell you about the world of Magnum P.I., Private Investigator. You know, I think it's funny that considering he doesn't like being called a P.I. or a dick, the, the name of the show is Magnum P.I. I've always thought that was odd, actually, after he's been so adamantly correcting people. that No, no, Private Investigator, not a P.I., not a gumshoe. Not a hired dude. I'm out of P.I. nicknames now. Gumshoe, dick, P.I., penis, inspe- that, that, that one's not real. And this is episode 16, The Black Orchid. Now, last week, Graham and I thought, oh, this sounds very 40s, and uh, maybe Rick is involved doing his Humphrey Bogart thing. Uh, Rick is practically, sir, not appearing in this film, actually. I don't actually think he has a line. Mm, no, he has one, but we'll talk about it. Right. Although Magnum does do some Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade impressions. It's true. So we weren't off on that count. No, no, we got about half of it. Before we get into the episode proper, two quick things about the opening titles. One, forgot to mention, the new opening title montage that happened when they changed the theme song includes some stock footage of Hawaiian culture. Stuff. Basically, people dancing. Hey, it's the beach. Having a luau. Hey, it's ladies in long grass skirts. Yeah, when I say stock footage, what I actually mean is it was all shot for Hawaii Five-0. So this is stuff that CBS had around, and they were like, oh, put this in. Well, I mean... Spice it up. Let's let's think about the 80s. They couldn't just go to, like, iStockPhoto.com and <laughs> click on HD video and get stock footage of Hawaii that somebody had shot with a DSLR, right? Nope. So I guess they just had to go through the archives at CBS, and they went, oh, perfect. We've got all this Hawaii Five-0 stuff. And also, there's a shot in the opening titles of a car exploding, and it bugs me every week. Well, it's the car from the first episode. Yeah, but it's like... It's a car exploding, so we'll put it in the opening titles to be really cool and everything. And you would think that that would be a good idea, but... I mean, it's who so, doesn't love explosions? It's so obviously launched off one of those pneumatic launchers that they use to fire cars in movies. Like, it's just sitting there, and it then it like goes, boom. Yeah, it looks like it was just rest on top of a gigantic potato gun. Yeah, it's... Every week, I'm like, that's not a good stunt. Well, it's the best they could do. Fair enough. This is pre-Michael Bay. Michael Bay is still a young child at this point. Actually, how old is Michael Bay? Maybe he wasn't. I have no idea. Michael Bay is still a young child at this point, perhaps even still a twinkle. No, I don't want to say he's a twinkle in his dad's eye, because that means that he's like not been born yet, which is we've not been born yet. And then that means that, oh, no, that's terrible. No, that means Michael Bay is the same age as us, and we're just failures. Moving on. Michael Bay was 16 when this episode aired. Maybe he looked at that and thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I could do better. Yeah. The episode begins with two ladies in matching beige jumpsuits, like one-piece coverall jumpsuits. Yeah, it's very strange. Sitting in a car on an airstrip, and a plane lands, and a couple guys get out, and one of the women, we'll just, we'll just tell you their character names now. Louise is the younger one. Christy is the older one. And Louise gets up and approaches the two guys who get out of the plane, who are also wearing beige. Everyone in this scene is wearing, I mean, maybe not beige, but khaki. Earth tones. Yeah, but the same earth tones. Like, one guy has a jacket, and his hair is going crazy in the wind. His, his hair is also an earth tone. <laughs> he's got the sort of, he's he, he's bald, and he's got the, the fringe, but he's got really curly hair. Uh, he looks like a curly red from that 70s show. Yeah, he does. And when the wind hits him from behind, he turns into Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. It just goes, Marty. It's not a flattering look. No. So she walks up to them. She throws a briefcase at them. 
just sort of chucks at the guy's feet and puts her hand out. He throws her some sort of small package. And they're like, oh, a drug deal is going down. Or something, I yeah. mean, it's very conspicuous that oh, we didn't mention that these two women are sitting in it like an antique Rolls Royce, which doesn't seem like the kind of car that you want to conduct a drug deal in, but hey, maybe it's that hide-in-plain-sight mentality. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And they both have their hair pulled back, and they're all made up, and then Louise pulls a gun out of her jumpsuit, somewhere out of her jumpsuit, and shoots both the guys. And me and Graham are like, We're like, oh, well, that escalated quickly. This, this seems like it's going poorly. And then Christy rocks up beside her and is like, well, what do we do now? And Louise says, well, we cover the bodies in brush and burn them. You and take, I'm like, holy yeah. balls, lady. This, this, this lady's hardcore. She's like, you take no, the... You not even dump them in the ocean? Nope. <laughs> He's like, you do that, and then take the car and meet me back at the house. And then Louise jumps in the plane and takes off. What the F? Well, Christy watches her fly away. So, spoiler, these two are sisters, but Graham and I weren't sure if they were not a couple. They were acting there, very close. They there, were touching each other. I've never done that to my sister. I mean, I'm not particularly close with my sister, but I've never seen siblings be that like, oh, what do we do now, darling? Yeah, there was, yeah. A, there was a weird vibe. I don't like that. Yeah. That's not a sister. That's not a sibling thing to do. No. Uh, from my relationship with my si- my actual sibling and uh, my friend Adam, who may as well be my brother, is more likely that somebody would get a punch in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also that Louise is really enjoying this. Yes. In 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 a very sort of weird way. She's like a cracker, and I don't oh, mean yeah. like in a white person way. I mean like in a like She's a. She's also super white. I mean like in a in a a flaky kind mm-hmm. of crumbly kind of uh, non structurally sound kind of way. Yeah, and you know, so she's I don't want to use the word ecstasy, but she's she's like really enjoying this, and so she's having a ton of fun. Yeah, so that's that. Not, not in a sexy way. She's just no. like wee. Yeah, but that's why we're like. Oh, are these two? Are these two a couple? Because she was like, "Okay, all right, now we're gonna." Hmm, it's very strange. Then, after the airplane is out of sight, the two drug dealers get up, and now Graham and I are like, "What? Yeah, what's what, what? What's going on here?" And we're like, "Oh no, it's a double cross. No, it's nothing so fantastic as a double cross." Christy pulls out some envelopes, and she says, "Well, here's five hundred bucks for you. Here's three hundred and fifty for you because you didn't have to actually do any acting." And here's 200 bucks for the plane rental. Thank you for your services. And the one guy with the crazy hair is like, man, I knew there were going to be blanks, but when she pulled that gun out there, it's, she, had the, she had the eyes of a killer. That was, that was a little bit scary. And we're like, what, what is, what what is, is happening? Hap-? And then we're like, oh, my God, they're LARPing. <laughs> yeah, I came, to, uh, I came to that conclusion after the next scene, actually. But maybe, but I was like, does Louise know that she's LARPing? I can't tell. Yeah, so the next scene is Magnum uh, coming in from his morning swim. You can actually tell from the pre-title little montage that there is a scene missing here. Mm -hmm. Because there's a scene that shows at the very, very, very beginning of the little pre-title montage of Louise uh, on the beach in a bikini talking to Magnum. Because it's all cut up for this montage, all you hear is Magnum go, $500? And then Louise says, yeah, that's getting your attention money. And he's like, I'm a private investigator. I don't play games. And that scene's not in the episode. No. Obviously cut for time. Uh, I actually think it might have been cut for structure. You know what? Why don't we pause this discussion, get the introduction of what's actually happening out of the way, and then I'll go back and tell you why I think that scene was cut. Absolutely. So Magnum explains in narration that he has been hired to help this wealthy person act out her fantasies. 
And again, not in a sexual Sex way. way. Although we are just watching Tom Selleck come out of the ocean and do push-ups. Tom Selleck looks like he might have had a bit of a sunburn at some point in this He's scene. He's very tanned. In this He's scene. extremely tanned. Well, it probably gets a lot of sun in Hawaii. Yeah. To clarify, Christy, the sister, hired Magnum to help Louise act out these supposed fantasies. So Higgins comes out of the main house with a box that he didn't know wasn't for him and had opened and gives it to Magnum, and it contains a black orchid. That is so obviously very made of silk. Well, it's, I mean, black orchids, as Higgins says, aren't actually a thing. No. It looks like a prop even on 1980s TV. Yeah. But anyhow. There's a card associated with it that is signed, the black orchid. And Higgins is like, what is all this? And, and Magnum is like, why are you opening my stuff? <laughs> and, Magnum, and Higgins is like, well, I didn't know it was for you. It's flowers. Who else gets flowers delivered? But it says, it's, the card says it's from the black orchid. And Magnum's like, you read the card? And Higgins is like, how else was I supposed to figure out who it's for? And even Magnum's like, yeah, all right, you're right. I really enjoyed that. He was like, you're opening my mail? And Higgins is like, how, how else would I have known that it wasn't, that it was for you? And yeah. Magnum's like, oh, okay, yeah. Magnum well, Higgins relations are, are at a high point, actually, this episode. <laughs> well, there's some friction later, but we'll talk about it. Then a real nice car rolls up. And Higgins is like, oh, that's an antique blah, 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 Rolls Royce. Yeah, Higgins is like super excited about this Rolls Royce. He says he's never seen one like that on the islands. In another life, Higgins is out on an anorak looking at train tracks. The rolls pulls up, driver gets out, opens the suicide doors, and we see the the legs emerge of the woman in the car along with some 1940s. Oh, wah, yeah. Wah, 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 wah. And we're like, what what is happening here? Oh, and she's like full, like got the like the long below the knee skirt and like the long jacket. She looks like she's coming to the 1940s. She's wearing a black veil. Yeah. And she stands up and says, which of you is Thomas Magnum, the famous private investigator? And then we go back to a shot of Higgins sort of looking dumbfounded in his like standard Higgins gear and Magnum wearing like a blue tank top and a baseball hat being like, hi. Looking embarrassed. It's, uh, it's actually a really fantastic juxtaposition. They sort of muddle their way through the rest of this exchange eventually extracting themselves from Higgins, who, by the way, doesn't miss a step. He starts talking to her about this car, and she's like, excuse me, do you have a light? She like, she completely cuts him off, indicating her cigarette, goes, excuse me, do you have a light? And Higgins just goes, no, I don't. Anyway, this car, just yeah, like... Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, just right back into it. Uh, Jonathan Hillerman actually does some good acting in this scene. Uh, Magnum is just like, oh, well, I mean, Higgins is one of the experts on the island for, you know, uh, classic cars. And he's like, oh, yes, the Island Historical Society asked me to submit a paper on restoring cars that had been exposed to sea air. And, you know, would you mind? And she's like, sure, look at my car. Fine. And then she goes off with Magnum. Yeah, she and Magnum leave. Higgins yeah. has this fantastic sort of dumbfounded look on his face. And then and goes, you know what? Fine. I'm gonna, I get to look at this car, which he says quite rightly is a 1936 Gurney Nutting Sedanka Coupe. Okay. So then Magnum and Louise are on the beach walking along. And she's like, I need your help with something or other. I, you know, she's playing at this character. Like, yeah. this is this is where it's like, oh, I see. She's LARPing. I get it. Yeah. And Magnum's like, well, okay, ma'am. I don't see. Like, he's he's not buying into it. He's just like, okay, so what's your problem? What do you need? Who's after you? Why are they after you? And she's like, well, I don't know. And I, oh, I can't say. And he's just like, look, L Miss Blah. And he says her name, which I didn't catch. And she's just like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. And then she like she drops the axe. She's like, you're not playing along. And Magnum's like, ugh. And she explains that she has hired him to be in the game 
why is he wearing a tank top and why are they on a beach and everybody knows that private eyes are supposed to have seedy offices and with their names frosted on the door. It's like, oh God, you want this? You, you, the, you, you want, want the movie. TNG Picard vacation? Oh, Dixon Hill. Yeah, you want yeah. a Dixon Hill adventure? Yeah, and, and she, yeah. she, it's so, it's so cringy. She's like, private investigators are supposed to have CD offices, you know, like this is how it goes, sort of thing. And Magnum's like, oh, come on. Yeah, but anyhow, he's like, fine. He refers to her as the Black Orchid. Yeah, and then he does this fantastic, like, acting at playing at acting. He does a Sam Spade impression and cracks himself up and then is like, no, wait, sorry, I'll get this. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> Here we go. Does the Sam Spade impression again. Says that she looks like a fine dame. And, yeah. Or a dame who's in trouble. Or some, like stuff, like he's doing this dumb voice and it's like. It's actually quite charming. It's charming, but you ha- you were having a really difficult time watching it. I am not a fan of cringe comedies. I just can't do it. I've had so many cringe-worthy things that I've done in my life that just brings back all these terrible memories, and I just can't do cringe at all. So just, like, there are some parts of this episode that I was like, no, it's too, ah. It's like watching a horror movie. It's like, Graham, tell me when it's over being embarrassing. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Not not, not going to lie. I should briefly talk about Jud- Judith Chapman here. Okay, that's the actress? The actress who plays Louise DeBolt Jackson, which is her real name. Not her assumed fake LARPing name. Yeah. <laughs> she has had a very, very long career. Uh, the same, you know, litany of guest roles throughout the uh, late 70s and 80s that you would expect from anyone who has guest starred on Magnum. She was even an episode of Stingray. Remember Stingray? Uh, Guy named Ray? Travis Stingray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the theme. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but in contrast to most guest stars that we've encountered so far, she is still working regularly today well i mean in contrast to a lot of guest stars that we've had on there it's not that i mean some of them just like had one or two acting roles like moki mm-hmm. dropped off the face of the earth yeah but a lot of them were older mm-hmm. and so a lot of them have just retired sort of into the 80s and or into the 90s and 2000s and, and many of them have been dead uh well what you got to do though to to get like active work continuing to today Settle into that smooth soap opera gold. Oh, is she on a soap opera? Oh, yes. This is perfect because she's doing she's a lot of scenery chewing in this episode. Oh, God, yes. I can see her on a soap opera because she's there's so much emotion coming from her voice. Oh, yeah. She is on The Young and the Restless. Okay. Which is, you know, started in 1973, basically the one of the biggest soap operas of all time. She plays Gloria Fisher Bardwell. Or Perfect. Gloria Abbott or Gloria Fisher Abbott or, you know, last names change all the time. Various uh, marriages and deaths. <laughs> resurrections. Yeah. Young and the Restless uh, first aired in 1973 and is uh, still on. It's currently contracted through until 2017. Okay. So uh, she's got a couple more years left there. So she she has been on the show since 2005. Oh, so, wow. So that is 757 episodes of The Young and the Restless. Oh, my it, God. It's every day, remember. This is what housewives do. Yeah, they watch their, they watch their stories, and I can. I never want to be a housewife. I can totally see her, frankly, rocking the soap opera gold. All right, good for her. It's also worth mentioning that she's had small roles on As the World Turns, Ryan's Hope, General Hospital, and Days of Our Lives. She's done the soap opera circuit basically, but she finally settled in with Young and the Restless for, I mean, at least ten years now, and then going on. So with Magnum now on board with Operation Black Orchid, we then cut to Hotel Street. Oh, there is a very brief interlude on the way out where Higgins mentions something about redecorating the guest house because they need to repaint. Yeah, this is the weirdest 
subplot in an episode of Magnum I think we've encountered so far. But Magnum's like, okay, fine, sure. Some famous designer that Higgins is calling in to... Yeah, some, no, some interior designer is doing a shoot right. for a magazine, and they're using the guest house right. of, because she's a friend of Robin Masters. Right, right, right. This is very briefly mentioned, and Magnum's like, okay, that's great, but I'm busy. I'll see you later. Bye, Higgins. As long as it's minimal, I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. Cut to uh, Hotel Street. The same street that we had posing for the 1940s CD area, looking basically identical. Mm-hmm. Louise is in a white dress. It's like a silver halter top dress with like a collar. It's very of the era. Yes. And Magnum is in a white suit. He's wearing a black dress shirt, a white suit, and a white tie. And he's got like the, the black tie pin in coming in the top. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like full 1940s drag. Uh, yeah. He's clearly in like... A theater costume. Yeah. He looks pretty good. And they say a bunch of stuff. None of it is relevant, and it's all just sort of, you know, them playing the game. They're like, oh, so-and-so is going to come and get us here, and we need to watch out for so-and-so and whoever. And Magnum's acting has improved. Yeah, Magnum's really committed to the character now. Uh, they make out a bit. Yeah, she's just like, oh, I find you so attractive and protecting. I don't know what she said because at this point I was just like, Graham, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. Tell me when it's over. Yeah. My notes at this point are just in all caps and then double underlined with an exclamation point. Cringe. But she's having fun. She's a fruit loop though. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I just got to say that she is just crazy. Then they are interrupted. They are interrupted by two new counts on the that's racist chart. I was like, oh my God, I should watch this because this is the, that's, it's the that's racist count. We haven't had one of those go up in so long. And you can see it coming from a mile away because you see a figure turn the corner in the distance wearing a rice paddy hat. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh no. And oh it's, no. It's Rick and TC disguised as, and there's no other word for it, they're disguised as Chinamen. Like they've got the, the, the conical rice paddy hats. TC has a giant earring. Rick has a mustache. I didn't even notice this because I was cringing so hard. The pencil thin. Like the Fu Manchu going down the, the off the sides of the mouth? Well, not like hanging off. It's basically like a John Waters handlebar mustache. Oh, no. Yeah. They leap at Magnum and Louise going like, Ayah! Ah! It's so awful. Yeah. I was afraid that we'd go the rest of the season without notching up. That's racist. But oh boy. Why, why, why were you afraid of that? Afterwards, you're just like, wow, that is awful. But at least I get to put out like a tick in a column. Like there's if some this, upside. If this had been, the interesting thing is, if this had been the only thing in the show so far, you could maybe make an argument. For like historical anachronism? That they're, that, yeah, that they're doing an anachronism of this 1940s fiction, right? And it's like, and that that has to happen. I mean, they got they you, didn't you, do this well, in Dixon Dixon Hill things. I know. I'm I'm saying you could make the argument, and it w still would not make it better. But within the context of what we've already seen from this show, we know that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they they play fight. Oh yeah, it's really funny because I, I I managed to like open my one of my eyes. Uh, long enough to, to see Magnum and TC sort of like grappling each other around the shoulders and literally making a noise because they're like play fighting. Because we've seen them fight. We we saw them like beat the crap out of each other in Thicker Than Blood. Yeah. And this, they're just holding each other's throats and going. It's really funny. It is quite amusing. If you're not being like, why does TC have an earring? Yeah. Uh, it, 
Louise grabs like a board and like starts like coming towards TC and TC's like ah and like actually like sees this spins around and like puts Magnum towards In Louise the way, yeah. and then says don't kill me and runs off. Yeah. And so I don't know how Magnum convinced them to be involved, but we've seen him convince them of other stuff. Honestly, probably because probably money. Probably money. All right. So I wanted to talk about how this why I think they cut that scene. Uh, I think the episode is infinitely more interesting if they do not reveal right away what is going on. Yeah. Because then you have this mystery of the black orchid and her showing up in the car and then what's going on at the beach and it's not entirely revealed and stuff like that. You have to remember people watching in the 1980s probably did not understand the concept of LARPing, so they would not have immediately jumped to the conclusion that Graham and I did. Yeah. And it's much more of an interesting reveal than if it's like immediately laid out after the credits that we want you to play a game. And obviously I think he probably said, well, I've got a couple friends, but you're probably going to have to give them 200 bucks. And honestly, for 200 bucks, even 200 bucks today, I would go and pretend to be a bad guy. Yeah, why not? I probably wouldn't wear the outfit, though. <laughs> no. If that was part of the deal, I'd be like, I'm not comfortable doing this, actually. Yeah. So that episode of the game is completed, and Magnum goes home and, you know, job well done. Wakes up, goes for his swim. He runs into Higgins, who tells him that Rick called. And doesn't seem upset about that. So, yeah, like you said, Magnum Higgins' relations doing well. And They that, might be at an all-season high, honestly. Yeah. And that Rick, who, you know, knows everything and everyone, has called Magnum to mention that this woman, he, you know, the woman in the alley, Louise, is the wife of Wyndham Jackson. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Higgins, being Higgins, says, in fact, I should have recognized her, but of course she was wearing a black veil, and of course that made it very hard to identify, but I do believe I met her once at a society lunch when she was hosting, and then at this point Magnum's wandered off, and you, the story is cut off mercifully. Well, because Magnum goes, Wyndham Jackson? Oh, no, and just gets in the Ferrari and books it. Yeah. And you're like, what? I don't see the problem. And Wyndham Jackson, as it turns out, is a very powerful, very short-tempered man. Basically, they make him out to be a rich, abusive asshole based on this description. Yeah, and Magnum has been making out with his wife, uh, so he's upset. Yeah, Magnum is extremely angry and does not want to have anything to do with any of this anymore, no matter how money the, or how good the money is. Yeah. So he drives up. He drives over to his house. To this huge house where he meets. Hey, it's Christy from before the titles. Remember her? Yeah, it's Louise's sister who set this whole thing up and didn't tell Magnum that she was Wyndham Jackson's uh, wife. Yeah, used maiden names and all that stuff. Yes, yes. Because she's Louise DeBolt, but she's actually Louise DeBolt Jackson now. I mean, when you add, when you hyphenate the name, you get it infinitely fancier. That's true. That's like, but, and then you have to get like to the English inbreeding levels of fanciness where you've got the same name hyphenated multiple times, right? Yeah. Like Louise DeBolt Jackson, Smythe, Smythe Jackson, right? <laughs> Christy is, she's, she's a little apologetic. But not really. Not really. She's it, it's sort of like, I'm sorry that you're upset. Yeah, that's you know? not actually a real apology. That kind of non-apology. I don't like those apologies because they're not sincere. No, well, no one does. She, she explains why this is so important for Louise, these stupid games. I mean, it's a very long-winded explanation because this scene's quite long, but it's basically like, my sister's kind of a bored fruitcake. Yeah, I guess that's basically <laughs> what it comes down to. Like, but it takes her two minutes to explain she's this. She's like, she just needs input. <laughs> I'm like, get a fucking hobby, is what I yelled at the TV. <laughs> you Join did. a board. You did. I remember that. How? Get a cat. I mean, I mean, if if Louise is bored, no, get like a get like a corgi. Those things are just balls of energy. Oh yeah, they need. need. We our friends Dan and Manny have a corgi, and that thing is just constant input. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to play with a dog for three hours? No, nobody does. 
But you know what corgis want? That all the time, every day. We did once. Remember when? Remember when we were over at their house a couple of years ago? And we just sat in a circle and played with the dog, like all afternoon. Yeah, but there was eight of us, and I was still bored of it by the end. Yeah, that's fair. The dog wasn't. No. The dog was like sweet. Anyhow, well, keep, we're, keep the, the moral of me. this diversion is that Louise needs a corgi or something. But yeah, she's a bored Fruit Loop, and Magnum is like, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with Wyndham Jackson because he'll have me like erased or something like that. And I mean, the way Magnum makes it sound, sort of reasonably scared that this guy is an angry shitbag and he's got enough money to do what he wants. He says that he doesn't want any more games. It's up to Christy to tell Louise because Louise isn't there. No more games. He'll meet her this afternoon and close the case, basically. And then, yeah, then he's out. And Christy's like, okay. And he peels out of the driveway and... And this other big car that's being chauffeured drives in and who comes out of the car, but... Wyndham Jackson. Who is an older, balding gentleman and looks kind of like a gruff Texas guy or something like that. Yeah. He's wearing a beige blazer, which is very stylish, but perhaps not the most intimidating, but he seems like an angry kind of dude. And he says, who's that? And Christy's like, oh, he's mine. I met him at the club. He's one of mine. And she's really insistent about this. But Christy has a very weird attitude to Wyndham. Wyndham is not her husband. Wyndham is her sister Louise's husband. She's like, oh, come inside and tell me about all the things that you I w- did today. I, I want to hear about your business. You know, because he was at like a business meeting. She's like, I want to hear all about how the meeting went. And it's like, this is your brother-in-law. No. Oh, tell me about your day. That's not how real people act. Both of these girls are Fruit Loops. Yeah, well, Christy less overtly so, but... Yeah, it's definitely becoming more and more apparent. Mental fragility runs in the family. (laughs) Apparently. Wyndham Jackson, by the way, played by John Ireland, another man with a long career playing cowboys. He looks like a cowboy. I totally believe that. Yeah, his first movie role was 1945 in the movie A Walk in the Sun, which was actually a military movie, but uh, he played a lot of cowboys over the years. And this is interesting. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Really? For All the King's Men. What? There's an all the, another All the King's Men connection? Yeah, this is the movie that, from the last episode, that Mercedes McCambridge won Best Supporting Actress for in her first movie role. This is one of one of his first movies, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the same film. Honestly, this guy's pretty good in this episode. That must be a good movie, too. We should, maybe we should watch it. We probably should. So Magnum drives up. And he says, you know, in his in-car narration, I mean, I could have just told Louise that it was over and just made a phone call, but I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I like to make these, I like to talk to people. He specifically prefaces it with, I know what you're thinking, which is his, like, go-to narration start. When he does something weird or dumb. He's like, I know what you're thinking. I could have just called her up over the phone, but I like to do these things in person. And you're like, okay, sure. So he rolls up. She's got a picnic laid out, and she's she's sort of like arranging the the picnic blanket to make sure that it's all the best. And as soon as he walks up, her like whole demeanor changes. Yeah, and he walks up and around her, and then sits down on the camera side of her, kind of partly away from her, so that the camera can see both. Like it's this is something we encounter a lot when we're filming. Is sort of like look. I know this feels weird, but can you stand slightly like this so that you can we can see more of you on camera? Yeah, normally when you are having a conversation with somebody, you, of course, sit across from them or stand across from them so you can look at each other's faces. Uh, there's a whole lot of evolution that backs up why people like to do this. But, of course, on camera, that doesn't work because then you get two people in profile. So you have to have kind of stand in this open V formation. Yeah. And depending on the angle of the camera, sometimes you have to be like, 
way more spaced out or way more close together than you're normally going to be. Or in this case, because of how they've got the camera set up, Magnum has to be almost turned away from her. He cannot see her face unless he like pretty much whips his head the whole way around. It's just weird when you like you'll start seeing this if you look for it. So you're welcome that he walks up and instead of sitting down on the blanket beside the picnic basket, he walks around her and then sits down facing away from her. Yeah. And you wouldn't think about it, but Kathleen and I were both like, oh, that's for, that's for framing. I totally understand why they did it, but I'm curious as to why they wouldn't have set up the camera a little bit differently so you wouldn't have had to do this such an awkward walk around and then such an awkward position for Magnum to be in. Speaking of awkward, like half of this scene is Louise talking and explaining her sort of origin story and why this all, why why all the games happen and everything. And it's all shot from this very awkward angle because they're sitting so close together and sort of facing the same way like they're they're basically sitting beside each other and again like you said like a sort of a shallow v so you see a lot of magnum's face slightly out of focus while you're looking at her and the camera keeps zooming in and out slowly and it's it's very it's awkwardly add, framed. Well, because this is basically a long monologue that she's doing and it's obviously to add some dramatic tension. You don't do it like that though. No. But, like that's not, it's this, it's badly shot and it, it looks I, awkward. I feel like actually what could have been better is if I was going to do this is rather than do this awkward walk around and then sit down, I just would have shot this much more conventionally and I think a lot less weirdly and distractingly with Magnum sitting across from her like he normally would. And then you could shoot just the regular back and forth with some dirty shoulders. And, you know, then you could give her a long shot where she is the center of frame and you don't have to like crop around this weird fuzzy Magnum in the corner. And then she, she can do her monologue and then you can do a slow zoom if you really want to make it look more intense. But you don't need to do this weird thing for Magnum's sake. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just, yeah. What is she saying? About halfway through, I started making this noise. Because she is chewing the scenery so badly. But TLDR, I poor, but my dad hung out with rich people because of his job. He was a pastor. And then I was going to be an actor because I had to learn how to act the part. And then I met Wyndham and we fell in love and I married him instead. And I'm a bored, rich housewife. And so he keeps me occupied. This took like two and a half. It felt like two and a half minutes. Yeah. She says she wanted to be an actress in basically that voice. And then the uh, the the line of note later is um, some wives drink, some wives take lovers. I play games. And it's like, wow, you are real bored. And Just she's, get a hobby. She's significantly younger than this guy, too. And they, they met when she she was riding a horse on his property and fell off, and she had to go inside, and, and he... Cared, no, she ended up, like, breaking her, her back. She yeah. was, like, on her back for six weeks or something. Yeah, and he, he cared for her, and then... They had they formed a connection. They, well, they started playing the games. They he, started well. They started acting out little skits together because she was like bedridden. Yeah, and he asked her to marry him, and she thought it was part of the game, and so she said yes. And then he started crying because he he was so in love with her, and she's like, "Well, guess I'm marrying him." So it's it's all. I, I, I don't. I didn't actually get the whelp. I guess I'm marrying him. Like I actually got like some affection for him. Yeah, her. yeah. No, she she does she does care about him, but you get the impression that it hadn't necessarily been her plan. No. You know, she does love her husband and care yeah. for him. Then out of flipping nowhere, two dudes in balaclavas show up. I don't know how they didn't see them coming. 
but they're just like, boom, standing Magnum was distracted right beside- by the crunchy scenery chewing noise. They're just standing right beside them. There's two guys in balaclavas just standing there with a gun five feet away. Yeah, Magnum is pretty nonplussed. He's like, hi, guys, I'm not doing this anymore. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're tough men. And then they shoot the car. Yeah, they shoot the windshield of the Ferrari. Yeah, and, and it like the, with a real bullet. Magnum's like, what the hell, man? And he like... He says, do you know how much one of those things costs to be replaced? He stands up and swats the gun out of the guy's hand. He's like, stop it. Like, <laughs> like he would do with a child. He's just like, put it down. Like, because he doesn't give a crap. And then they start really beating him up. These guys are not playing around. He rips one of their shoes off. It's like a beige cowboy boot. They uh, Well, because they... he's trying to use like non-bone-breaking takedown force on these guys at first because he thinks they're hired goons. So he like swats the gun out of the hand and grabs the guy and like knocks the guy over, grabs his shoe. Yeah. But then they actually start like throwing punches and like actually like connecting. So Magnum sort of actually fights back a bit, like flips one guy over his head, yells at Louise, get the car, go. She actually can drive the Ferrari, which is nice. Yeah. She grabs a couple things from the picnic, because of course she does. Why not? Gets in the car, and then Magnum jumps in. They they take off their balaclavas, and you're like, oh my god, it's someone I don't know. Yeah, it's or two dudes. It's just a guy. Okay, sure. Great. It's like, there was an episode of the Justice League where Lex Luthor takes over the Flash's body, mm-hmm. and he's like, finally, I can find out your secret identity, and he goes into the bathroom and takes off the Flash's mask. And he's like, I don't know who this is. This is literally some <laughs> random nobody. Yeah. I just love that. It's like, well, what... what what the hell were you expecting? So Magnum and Louise go back to Robin's Nest. They go back to the guest house for Magnum. Magnum is like, actually like, ugh, because somebody has really connected. Maybe one of his ribs is cracked or something like that. He is extremely unhappy. And Kathleen and I are like, ugh, because they've repainted the guest house and it's awful. Uh, I, the color, which we find out later, is hot tropical magenta. Woof. But it's like pink. It's it's more red than pink, I think, because Magnum's like red. It's red. You painted it red, but it's it's not appealing. Do you know the red like a hibiscus flower might be? Yeah, it's it's that electric. Yeah, there's it's not like there's no pink in it, but it's yeah, it's oof. anyway. Mag- but they don't notice right away. Magnum is just like uh. Magnum then notices the walls and is like they painted it red. And Higgins comes in, and Magnum gets belligerent with him, and Higgins looks at him and is like. I see that you've been beat up again. We won't talk about this now. It's basically like you are in no state to have an argument. Yeah, Higgins is actually surprisingly kind to Magnum. Well, I get the impression that Higgins also realizes that he's not going to get any like reasonable sense. Out of, like He's just going to get anger out of Magnum because he's just been beat up. Nobody wants to look at a red wall after they've been beat up. No, it, it's emotionally harrowing. So Higgins leaves. Louise comes back. Magnum gets some ice and he's just like, Bleh. And it's bedtime. Yeah, that's the, that is the end of the scene. The morning happens. Louise is awake. I believe she slept on the couch. Yes. It is not implied that they did anything. No. Magnum... Was, Ma- in, was in no state to do anything, for one thing. Well, also, Magnum, now knowing that she's Wyndham Jackson's wife, is probably not going to touch her with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Speaking of Wyndham Jackson, while Louise is in the middle of pouring some coffee from the thermos at the picnic... Because she can't find Magnum's coffee, so she's like, sure, let's just have day-old cold coffee. Has a sip. She's like... It's not that bad. It's fine. She's going to take it into Magnum. And who should walk in the door but Wyndham Jackson and Christy and Higgins. Because Higgins probably let let, let them in. Yeah. Yeah. Christy's like, Louise, why were you here overnight? And Louise is like, oh, Mr. Magnum was protecting me. As Mr. Magnum walks out of the bedroom wearing a bathrobe. Because he's clearly just come out of the shower. Yeah. And Wyndham is... 
extremely angry. Not happy about it. Let's put it that way. Like me seeing the walls, it's like a bull seeing red. Yeah, and then Magnum's like, okay, man, here's what's up. Like, he's he's doing the same thing he did with uh, Ted Danson in the other episode where he's just giving him the no BS. You you have no Come reason on, to bro. be upset with me. Yeah, he's like, look, here's what happened. This is not a problem. And then he's trying to do this explanation, and Louise collapses onto the couch and is like, oh, God, no, uh, oh, I, I'm, I feel awful. And Christy's like, she's not faking this. This is, this is really bad. Magnum just sort of stands there smiling like, yeah, sure, sure, she's not faking this. Like, he has this smile on his face as, of like, I'm not buying it, I'm not buying it, I don't believe you. Let me get this damn explanation out so I can quit this job and your husband won't try to murder me, please, Louise. Uh, then as Higgins picks up the phone and... Calls like 911. Was 911 invented then? He just picks up the phone and says, This is an emergency. So I assume it's he's just he just phoning goes, the operator. Yeah, I don't actually think 911 was around in 1981. What a pain in the ass on a rotary phone, too. Well, you get the nine is tricky, but the ones are take less time. Let me just look when 911 was invented. While you're doing that, I can talk briefly about the actress who plays Christy. Her name is Catherine Lee Scott, and she also has a history with soap operas, but weirder soap operas, specifically. Dark Shadows, you know there there was that uh, Tim Burton movie recently with obviously yeah, yeah. Johnny Depp. Yeah, so that was that was based on a 1966 like supernatural soap opera. It was like a there was vampires and werewolves and all that, but it was a legit soap opera. It also ran for five years, but it had over 1,225 episodes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the Wikipedia entry for Dark Shadows is is. Happy to point out that uh, because it was a daily daytime drama, it had more episodes during its run than most other science fiction fantasy genre series, uh, including Doctor Who. And Catherine Leigh Scott played Maggie Evans in 311 episodes of Dark Shadows. She also did the opening voiceover. Cool. Yeah. So 911. I looked it up. The United Kingdom was on with 999 in the 1930s, actually. And did you know the first city in North America to use a central emergency number? was Winnipeg, Manitoba in 1959. Winnipeg? Yeah, they started with 999, but then switched to 911. The first 911 call ever was placed on February 16th, 1968 in Alabama. So there you go. Uh, 911 was around, uh, but previous to this, you would just call the operator and say, hello, I need the fire department, or you, I need the police. Can you can you connect me to the ambulance man? Yeah, hop, I need hopsital. Yes. Which is sort of what Higgins does. And then Magnum is like, oh, something bad is actually happening here. Cut to Cut Honolulu to General. Honolulu General, not a real hospital. Really? Yeah, it's it's uh, fictional. It's shot at the Shriners Hospital for Children with a fake sign. Magnum's waiting outside the room, and Christy comes out and tells him that Louise will be fine, but she had some really bad poison, and he should not be there when Wyndham comes out. Magnum's like, well, like hell, I want to figure this out because I didn't hire those guys and she didn't hire those guys. Those guys were actually out to hurt one of us. They had a gun. They shot my car. And now she's poisoned. Like, this is not part of the game. And Christy's like, no, no, it's fine and you need to leave. And Magnum's like, all right, well, I don't really want to be here when Wyndham gets up, so fine. And he goes back to the King Kamehameha Club. Rick and TC are there, but it's largely inconsequential. Higgins, on the other hand, mentions that the poison that Louise took. How does Higgins know this? I, 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 I don't have any concept of how Higgins is supposed to have figured this out at all, unless he is a poison master and managed to get a sample of it. I actually have no idea how he knows this, and it's never explained, and it is weird. But he says this particular poison is 
incredibly super powerful and either she didn't mean to take it or she was actually just trying to kill herself. Because Christy is making it sound like Louise was just, you know, for the purposes of the game, trying to take some poison to play it up for attention, you know, to keep the game going because she's that loopy and desperate. And Higgins is saying, um, if she hadn't gotten medical attention that quickly, she would be dead. So the idea that she was taking this for attention means that either that's not true or she wants to die. And then you have to think about where, if this poison, because it obviously was in the coffee. Yeah, that she set out for the picnic. Uh, that would have killed Magnum too if Magnum had drank any of it. Yeah, and... She had two cups. She was going to bring Magnum a cup of coffee and she was interrupted. Yeah. Right? And, as Magnum rightly points out, if she didn't want to kill herself, if she had drank that at the picnic, there's no way they would have been able to get medical attention to her fast enough because they were like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So Magnum is like, what the heck is going on here? But since he doesn't want to be there when Wyndham gets out, he goes home and goes back to bed or, tr- or tries to because they're still remodeling the guest house with some really like, again, we described the walls. Now they're adding like lime green sculpture work this to the This is all walls. of the worst 1980s. Yeah. Magnum is real unhappy. There's like a black velvet painting with neon color. He's like, I and want like, it down. I want this down. Art. I want it repainted. This is all terrible. Higgins completely ignores that and just gives him the invoice for the windshield on the Ferrari because while Magnum was in no position to drive, Higgins took the car out and had it had the windshield replaced. They don't say exactly how much it was, but apparently it's an astronomical sum. But Magnum has already been paid by Christie for his services, so he is able to pay back most of the cost of the windshield. But of course, this is a reoccurring theme of Magnum being down to zero. So Magnum is now pissed. And he says, look, I'm fine with quitting, but this is an expense incurred. And so he's, he goes back to the hospital to talk to Christy to get reimbursed for the windshield. Because as Christy says, that's not my game. Louise is the one playing the games. And Magnum says, yeah, but it's pretty clear that you pick up the tabs for these games. So and she's like, well, I didn't hire those guys. And he's like, yeah, I know. And neither did I, and neither did Louise. So what is going on? Christy says, no, no, seriously, don't worry about it. She took the poison, ask her yourself, as Wyndham rolls Louise out of the room because the hospital is too stressful for her. and Wyndham looks work. pissed to see Magnum, by the way. And Louise freely admits, no, no, I poisoned myself. And I'm like, you freaking liar, because you were about to kill Magnum. Magnum doesn't believe her either. I don't think Wyndham believes her. No. So Magnum is like, all right. F this shit. His house looks hideous. He's been beaten up. He's got his car got shot. Yeah, he's out like all of his money to replace the stupid windshield. There's like he does manage to hand that receipt off to Christy, though. He doesn't end up taking that back by the end of the scene. True. There's like three different people not telling him the full truth. So he's like, all right, screw this. He just drives out to their house. He goes back out to Wyndham's place and he's going to go inside and talk to him. But then he notices that one of Wyndham's other chauffeurs has these beige cowboy boots. And the chauffeur notices Magnum noticing his boots and goes, uh, I'm going to book it, and runs away, which is a great plan. Uh, Magnum chases after him, and they get into a scrap. I mean, the chauffeur is no slouch, but Magnum just beats the crap out of him. Yeah. And uh, then, like, picks him up by the tie and is going to go drag him into the house, basically, to be like, this is the guy that beat me up. And then Wyndham comes out and is like, don't stop, 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 shut it down, stop fighting. And Magnum's like, so that guy works for you. Wyndham says, well, not anymore. You just served him his termination papers. (laughs) Which is like, 
Well, ouch. Ouch. Cold as ice. Because as Wyndham then, then admits, yes, he hired those guys because he... Is jealous and wanted to scare Magnum away. Yeah, he thought that they were there was some impropriety going on. And Magnum them. is like, bro, please. Basically, yeah. He's like, that's not what I'm into. And to his credit, Wyndham's like, okay, yeah. I will trust you because you seem legitimately angry. And Magnum is like, okay, what is going on? To that other point, I liked in the earlier scene when Magnum first showed up all angry at the house and Christy was like, look, is is the problem that she's married or that she's married to Wyndham Jackson? And he's like, both. I'm not okay with either option. He doesn't like uh, messing around with married women. That's fair. That's a good way to get into lots of problems. Yeah. And I think Magnum's life has enough problems without him courting them. Yeah. Right? Now, granted, he literally made out with a married woman last episode. But he episode, didn't know that. But... No, last episode. Oh, yeah. But he admitted immediately afterwards that that was a really stupid move. They had previous emotional connections. It was different? Eh. Anyway. We uh, find the whole story from Wyndham. Because Magnum is like, look, here's the deal. This poison is super dangerous. I don't know what's going on. Louise was lying. So either you're trying to kill her or Christy is. And at this point, I say, well, it's obviously Christy. Because the first time we saw them in the hospital, I was like, oh, it's totally Christy. Yeah. Uh, this You can see this plot twist coming at about 60 miles an hour down a straight stretch of highway uh, for at least four or five miles at you. Or an abandoned airstrip if we're just talking about long straight stretches of road. That's true. I right? don't know why that would come into play. But anyway, what does Wyndham say? Uh, he says that he would never do that because he honestly does love his wife. And, you know, you get the feeling that he does love his wife. Yeah. And, you know, he talks about how she makes him feel alive again, how she, you know, and, and there's actually some tenderness in his voice. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, comes from being a good actor with a long history that you believe him. And then Magnum's like, okay, well, then it's Christy then. He's like, so where, where are they? And he's like, well, there's sometimes they mess around at an old abandoned airstrip I own on the other side of the island. And Magnum's like, well, let's fucking go then. <laughs> yeah. And they just take off. And then we cut to the airstrip from the beginning of the episode. And they roll up in the same car, and they're just sort of talking about, you know, game-type stuff. But then Louise gets out of the car and is like, why did you poison me? Even Toucan Sam, the Fruit Loop, knows what's going on here. To which Christy replies, you covered for me. That was brave. Coming out to this airfield with me, that was stupid. And you're like, wait, Christy going to straight up kill Louise here? What's, why? What the hell? What's, What's her motivation? Well, let's let her tell us. She was in love with Wyndham. She was Wyndham's secretary. She's the one who ended up introducing them, in fact. And she was in love with Wyndham, and she just says that if she just had a little bit more time, he would have fallen in love with her. No, friend zone. Jeez, okay, you know what? It's not okay when either gender comes at it. It's, no one is ever obligated to return your feelings. Yep. Christy, just chill. If he didn't fall in love with you, he's not going to. Sometimes people just want friends. Yeah. It's okay. Just move on. Don't kill your sister. But no, Louise swanned in and was younger and... and and more, more vital. More vital is the word. That Who they uses use. that word to describe anyone? These are both. These people are both nuts. You're just so vital. And so maybe with Louise out of the picture, Wyndham will change his mind. Maybe, or is she just doing this out of anger? Who knows? It's Christie's gone at this point. There is just a cuckoo clock in her place. Yeah. So she drives away, leaving Louise alone on the airstrip, saying the drug dealers will be using real bullets this time. Of course, referencing the bit at the beginning of the episode where there was that fake drug deal with blanks at the airstrip. 
a scene which is notably removed from syndicated episodes of the show. What, with the beginning? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's the pre-title sequence. Yeah, which makes, well, it's not pre-title, but it's the cold open. It's a little weird with Magnum because they do the montage and then the opening titles and then always like a cold open before you ever see Magnum. Anyway, the point is, with that scene removed, the line, the drug dealers are using real bullets this time, makes no sense. Well, there's no sense for the, it doesn't make any reason for them to come back out here. It doesn't make any reason for these two people to arrive in a plane. Yeah. Wow, this scene must have been confusing. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So this plane arrives, these two guys come out. Wearing amazing pants. Oh, so bell bottomy. Yeah, big belt buckle too. Um, Louise is like, oh pass and runs into the underbrush. Magnum and Wyndham are barreling along in the Ferrari and they run into Christy coming back out and they run her off the road. And they're like, where is she? And she's like, oh, what? What? I did some, the game is, she's, I, what? And they're both like, look, will you just drop it and tell us where she is? And then you hear a gunshot. And Magnum and Wyndham are like, uh oh, and jump back in the Ferrari and, and just peel off. Take off as Christy starts having a breakdown. She's like, oh, crap. I hired two men to kill my sister. Yup. Oh, maybe I didn't think this through. Nope. So now we have Louise and two armed men and two unarmed men running around in the woods. Yes. Uh, Louise is like panicking and like sort of hiding in the underbrush and, and these two guys are following her, but she's doing an okay job of avoiding them because she got quite a bit of a head start on them. So there's this scene where they're like trying to find her and she's like, ha, 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 oh God, oh, ah, like going through the underbrush, you know, typical chase scene. And Magnum and Wyndham come in and Wyndham to his credit doesn't scream, Louise! He just, he starts to and he's like, wait, no, that's stupid. And he's like, Louise. Louise. Which is probably better. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I guess you don't want to make a ton of noise when there's people with guns. Magnum runs up to one of the guys with guns and with the pure power of his amazing forearm just chokes the guy out. Does that work in real life? Yeah. It's called a sleeper hold. Okay. It doesn't kill him, puts him to sleep, takes his gun, and then runs off after the other dude. Wyndham finds Louise. They're hiding in sort of a weird ditch thing. The other guy finds them, is about to shoot her. Wyndham's like, no! Takes the bullet. Magnum appears from behind him, draws his gun at the at the guy. So the guy, the guy whips around. The guy whips around. As soon as he starts spinning, Magnum's like, okay, fires. So, hey, we got to notch up murder without consequence. Yep, because guess what happens? Nothing. No consequences. No, that, this, that man is never mentioned again. No, so this guy drops to the ground, is never mentioned again, and Magnum does not go to jail for murdering a hitman. Yeah. I mean, to stand your ground, self-defense. Yeah. Does Hawaii have those laws? I, probably. I have no idea. America. Yeah. It's a different place. Well, what does is, what is, what is Wyndham say earlier in the episode? You could fight me, Magnum, and you're younger than me and, and stronger than me, and you'd probably win, but I have all the money, so I'll win in the end. Money is being going to get thrown at this problem, I guess. Yeah. And in fact, Magnum's like, great, let's get back in the Ferrari. Let's go get Christy. And Wyndham's like, no, no. Oh, by the way, Wyndham gets like shot in the arm. He's fine. Yeah. It's one of those bullet shots that would, like, in real life be... Pretty serious, but in movies is like, uh, whatever. So that's good. Because he's not a young man. No. And he says, I'll take care of Christy. And Magnum's like, no, I'm sick of this. All you people are too rich and too spoiled, and you all play life by your own rules, and this is ridiculous. No. And they're like, well, we have all this money. And he's like, well. Louise is like, oh, she's still my sister, and I, I that that's never going to change. And Magnum's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Fine. So he says, fine, but no more games. You have to promise me no more games. And Louise, like a crazy person, goes, oh, don't worry. No more games? Of course not. And you're like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. 
but the scene ends. But you know what? Louise and Wyndham seem actually like genuinely overjoyed to be together. Like Wyndham is so happy that his wife is alive. Yeah. Louise is so happy to see Wyndham. And you're like, I think these two people actually do honestly care for each other. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of sweet. It is, even <laughs> though she is loopy. And I do want to say that I was actually really impressed with how they characterized Wyndham because they started out, like I said, making him sound like he is an abusive asshole. He's got a short yeah. temper and, you know, he's going to get mad at his wife and he's going to get mad at Magnum and, you know, sort of always gets his way. But what he is, is he's just actually the kind of guy who doesn't let people give him shit. And he might have a temper, but honestly, I don't know if he does. He might just have like his reputation may precede him. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't actually seem to be that temper tantrumy or quick to act. He seems actually a little bit more analytical, which actually makes sense when you actually do have a lot of money. Yeah. That you're not, you don't easily fly off the handle and do mm-hmm. ridiculous things. So I thought that was good. And the characterization completely changed. Like the way he acted towards Magnum completely changed. And Magnum was like, I don't care about your wife. I care about that somebody is legitimately trying to kill your wife. Yeah. That's actually it for that whole plot line because we go back to Robin's Nest and it's tying up the weird subplot. Magnum is has like an overnight bag and is like, like I said, Higgins, I want it white. I want everything back the way it was. And Higgins is like, yeah, that's fine. You're you seem pretty chill about this that you can't live here for several days. And he's like, well, it's you know, it's fine. I'm. They're going off. Yeah, on Wyndham a, and Louise are going to, on a second honeymoon, and they've asked me to uh, watch their house for two weeks while they're away. Security check. You know that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And uh, Higgins is like, oh, okay, well, then everything's great. Yeah, Magnum's like, do you know they have a yacht? And then... Magnum is making some rude remarks about the horrible decor that the Mabel, whatever her face, the interior designer, has done, and it just looks awful. And then this car rolls up and shot the same as when... Louise got out of the car from like with like the 1940s music going from like legs up as she gets out of the car is the fashion designer or the interior designer rather who's, who's young and hot and really tall. Yeah, very glamorous looking, honestly. Yeah. And Magnum is just like well and gets back out of the Ferrari and is like, "So, hey, are you uh, this uh, designer?" And she's like, "Yes." And he's like, "I I I love your work." And then freeze, <laughs> freeze frame, frame on Magnum just looking so dreamy. And I'm like, that's a weird choice. And I was like, wait, this is before the internet. Somebody had to take this shot of Magnum and remember it for when they were sitting in the bathtub having alone time. (laughs) I'm not overestimating the Magnum sex appeal. Like, Magnum was a major sex symbol in the 80s. So this episode was written by the same guy that wrote Adelaide. Oh, this episode's so much better, though. It's better. But it's still weird. It's weird. And it's easy. Like, this guy is not the master of subtlety. That no. some of the other writers have been like these. I saw this plot twist coming like at least, you know, halfway into the episode. Like it was not a surprise. No. I mean, maybe it's not it, supposed to be a surprise. I guess. I mean, like it, like it was fine. There were aspects that were, like you said, sort of cringy to watch because they were so. Uh, it started out so bad, oh. but it got much better at the end. It really did. It improved over time. This episode. maybe Now, did it improve over time, or do we just have Stockholm Syndrome to this episode? No, I think it did actually get better. Okay. Yeah, because the, 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 first, the first sort of quarter is the whole, like, LARPing stuff, and it's like, oh, oh this is so weird. Why is this happening? So why, cringy. Why is any of this going on? What does this have to do with a greater story? Answer, not a lot. It's mostly just setting up for when actual dudes with guns show up. I mean, maybe the, the theme between this episode and Adelaide is betrayal by those who you think are close to you. That's true. So we'll have to keep an eye on this guy's episodes to see if that's like... Maybe the, he maybe he's got some problems. That's the well he goes to. Yeah. We also forgot to mention that there is a look at the camera in this episode. Yes, there is. Uh, when they're in the alley, when he's wearing the, the suit and the fedora and she's wearing the dress and everything. But before they make out, he looks square at the camera. I know that someone's keeping track of those numbers, so I wanted to 
Overall, let's tally up this episode. We've added two notches to the that's racist count. Yeah, it's that, one scene, but it's two distinct instances because Rick and TC are both dressed up. Weird. Yeah, no, they they both need to be penalized for this. There's This is not a half that's racist. This is full that's racist per character. Then we have one count on the self-aware look to the camera, and then we have one count on the murders without consequences scale. Yeah. That's a lot for an episode. It is. And it, and the, yeah, like you said, the episode was not bad. It wasn't my favorite, but it was it was all right. I enjoyed it. I give it a six and a half. The back two thirds of the episode being a seven, the first third of the episode being a four. I guess that doesn't average out to six and a half. It's okay. You can go with whatever you want. You make the rules. That's true. On the next episode, we'll be looking at, of course, the next episode of Magnum, which is entitled J. Digger Doyle. It's named after a character in the episode. And this is the penultimate episode of the season. Yes, it is. It's Ooh. episode 17 of the first, first season. Hmm. So we're, we're really chewing through. We've only got one more disc on the DVD set. Woohoo! Then we've got to move to season two. So yeah, that's it for this week. Um, our ability to bring you this podcast is brought to you by your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. Really appreciate it. And uh, that is it for this week. Zeus and Apollo were barely in the episode. They just sort of growled at Magnum at one point. So I guess, Zeus, Apollo, redecorate the guest house. This week... I don't want to get the cat again. He's all the way over there. No, and the other cat never meows. The only other, the only way we can get the other cat to meow is if you really want something. Um, I don't feel like teasing the cat, so what, what do we do for the sign-off this week? These cats are no help at all. It's like they don't even care. Hey, hey, start paying rent. Don't look at me like that. Get a job. You've lived here for two years. He's just sniffing his butt.